Today was one of those days where I needed some great worship. It's been a crazy week. Uh, I did get to go to Disneyland with my kids and all that good stuff, so that was fun. But, uh, man, Christians are crazy around election time. This whole political thing gets kind of out of hand. I'm, I was finding myself going crazy yesterday. For half the day, I was, like, in deep depression mode. And uh, so I needed some worship this morning. But I'm excited for today because we are in our Stars and Stripes series. If this is your first time at C3, we, I want to welcome you and let you know that we are a church that is, engages in culture. We believe that the church has lost its voice in government and, and, and you know, political policy, and we want to get the church their voice back. And so we're not really afraid to speak about uh, politics. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but by the end of today, you will know who I'm leaning towards. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be very evident. And, and Christians are stressed out about this election. They're stressed out, like, who do we vote for? Do we vote? You know, the lesser of two evils, all that kind of stuff. It's still evil. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, it's so easy to determine who to vote for. By the end of the day, you're going to know how easy it really is. And to me, it's the easiest election I've ever probably had to vote for since I've been 18 and I'm 41. So it's, it's very easy. So um, you may or may not agree with me by the end of this, but I think we can all agree that America is beautiful and uh, that the reason America is a blessed nation is because of Psalm 33:12, And it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In case you didn't realize this, that America was founded on godly principles. America was founded actually by, by 55 people, the founding documents. 51 were Christians, 29 were clergy. And the one, that, one of the ones that wasn't a Christian actually rallied all the rest of them to pray because he remembered how powerful prayer was and so they could finally finish the founding document. So America was birthed. The biggest superpower in the history of the world was birthed on the principles of God. That's why we're blessed. But God is no respecter of persons, nor is he a respecter of nations. He's not attracted to our cool flag because it's red, white, and blue. He's not attracted to America because of our national anthem, which is cool, or because cool Marines like Charles. He's not, a, he's not attracted to America because of that. He's attracted to America because we've said, God, you are our Lord, and the blessing of God has come. The scary thing about that is, is I believe America has been moving from her God, and if he is not our God, the blessing of God is going to go with it. So we need to make sure as Christians that we are ensuring that the Lord is our God if we want this nation to continue to be blessed. America represents all around the world a symbol of freedom, a symbol of prosperity, a symbol of protection. That's why millions of people will risk their lives to get here for a hope of a better future a better life, a better way of living. And so I think it's our responsibility to keep America what it was meant to be, the leader in the world, exceptional from the beginning. And that's the job of Christians. You might ask, what is the job of Christians uh, in this whole political thing, in the government, in the world? What is the job of Christians? And actually the job of Christians uh, has never really changed. And I'm gonna get to that in a moment, but I wanna read you a few quotes. Andrew Johnson said this, he said, when I die, I desire no better winding sheet than the stars and stripes, and no softer pillow than the constitution of my country. Nathan Hale, he was a, an American soldier who was captured by the British and executed. His last words before being hanged were purported to be this, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Not only has America shed its blood uh, to keep her freedom, but has shed its blood to protect other, other countries' freedom. And Colin Powell said that over the years, the United States has sent 
many of its fine young men and women into great peril to fight for the freedom beyond our borders. And the only amount of land we have ever asked for in return is enough to bury those that did not return. America truly believes that we are our brother's keeper. Rick Green said that America is the only country in history that has a technological advantage in war and has never used it to conquer another nation, but yet uses its resources to rebuild other nations. America is beautiful, and we do believe that we are our brother's keeper, and that's one of the things that makes America so, so great. And uh, it also causes a lot of conflict in the world because of, you know, the different opinions about, uh, you know, how America should be involved in the rest of the world and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to get into that, but you might ask, what is the Christian's role in this whole thing? And it's simple. It's never changed. It's found in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the role of Christians. It's saying that you and I are the salt of the earth. That you and I are the light of the world. It's about preserving godly principles, salt. It's about flavoring America, salt. And it's about expanding the kingdom light. So we go out and we do our good works and people see what we do and they glorify our father in heaven. But I want to focus on the salt. The title of my message this morning is the flavor of America. You and I are the salt of the earth and we are called to bring the flavor to America. Christianity is the flavor of America. Christianity, the Bible, God is why America is so great and it is our job to preserve that greatness, to preserve Christianity, to preserve the fact that God is our Lord. That is our job. We are the salt and the light. And if you focus on the, the salt, I did a little bit of a study on the salt and what they really mean by, by that uh, part of the verse. And it, it's talking about how they found on the shores of the Dead Sea way back in the day, and this is where this saying came from, they would find this salt, uh, bundles of salt that had been contaminated by gypsum and other minerals. And it made the taste flat and even repulsive because salt can't lose its flavor on its own. It has to be contaminated by outside influences or sources or minerals or chemicals because salt in itself cannot lose its, its flavor. And so what they would do is they would, they would recognize that this salt had been contaminated and then they would throw it out. And they wouldn't throw it out on gardens or, or, or you know, grass or anything like that because it would kill anything it landed on. They would throw it out into paths and into streets and it would be trampled on by men, ground into nothing, good for nothing. That's what that verse is talking about. And so we have to be careful as Christians that we don't lose our flavor, that we don't lose our saltiness. And the only way we can lose our saltiness is if we allow the outside influences to corrupt who we really are. If we allow... PC, political correctness, to suppress the truth, we will lose our saltiness and we will lose our flavor. And it is our job to bring the flavor, the goodness of the Bible to America and preserve what God has started here in America. The church is alive and well. The church is alive and well, but for a long time, they've been in retreat. 
But I got to tell you, God is moving around the world. God is raising people around the world to invade the marketplace. He is raising people around the world to take the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. So we can't be a church that is silent, that is on our back foot. We have to be a church that is advancing, that is forcefully advancing. God is raising people, I'm telling you, all over the world in the marketplace to influence. The Bible says that the kingdom does not come by observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. And so if we want to advance the kingdom of God, we got to go. Jesus said, go into the world and be the influencer, be in the world, just not of the world. But the church for a long time has not been in the world at all. We've retreated. We've been silent. If you just look at the marketplace, the church has like been scared of the marketplace. The church has like been scared of, of politics and of government. If you, look at, if you look at just the marketplace, look at government. We've given away the government. We've given it away in America to, to, to liberal thinking. We've just given it away. And so that's why we've been moving further and further away from God. If you look at arts and entertainment, how many actors and actresses are just, you know, they have these, these theories. They have no idea what they're talking about. But because they're famous, because we, we haven't encouraged Christians, we haven't empowered Christians to be lifted up in entertainment, we've kind of just held them all to ourselves, that we don't have any Christians with any voice in entertainment. What about the media? Oh, my goodness, have we lost the media. Just turn on the news for like five minutes and you might throw up. We've lost the media. Education. We've lost education. We're teaching our kids crazy things. Crazy things. Instead of, you know, prayer and passing out Bibles, we're passing out condoms. We've lost our mind in education. In business. We've lost business. There's, there is a lot of wealthy Christians that are doing well in business, but they felt threatened because of the PC pressure because of the threat of litigation or lawsuits or boycotting of their businesses, and so they've, their voice has been silenced. I'm here to tell you, uh, it, it's, it's over. The silence of the church, the silence of Christian, it's over. It's time to invade culture. It's time to take back government, take back arts and entertainment, take back media, take back education, take back business, and tell the PC people to shut up. Christians think that we, we don't get involved in politics because God's will always happens and God puts in authority who he wants. That's ludicrous. God is in charge, but he's put you and I in control. He's called us to have dominion in the earth. We are the ones that if we aren't active, the world is going to take over. Secularism, humanism, atheism, all of that's going to take over and it's going to push away her God, the God of America. And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. And so there's been confusion. There's been confusion in the church about what to do, you know, with, with government, with politics. We think that it's the government's job to evangelize America. A lot of Christians think that because Jesus isn't on the ballot, our country's going to go to hell. Because they think we put our trust in the president, but we put our trust in God. I know people who have said that very thing. How can you vote for blank, blah, blah? And put your trust in him. Never would I ever say that I put my trust in the present. My trust is always going to be in God. But we have to elect somebody. We have to elect somebody. So, so we get into this argument and we're confused of the roles of, of Christians and the government. The role of government is to set up a structure and a system that allows you and I to be free to make a choice. 
that allows you and I to be free to have life, that allows you and I uh, to be free to pursue happiness. The government's job isn't to guarantee you happiness. The government's job is to create a system and a structure and a free world so that you can pursue happiness. One of the lies is that the government is to guarantee you happiness, and that's what keeps people in dependence. That's not the job of the government. The government's job is to get out of the way, keep it free so that you can pursue happiness, so that you can be free to make a choice. It's the church's job to make sure that that choice is a choice to worship Jesus, not some other God. So the government keeps it safe and free to make a choice to worship whoever we want. It's the church's job to evangelize America and evangelize the world. It's not the government's job. We're so sensitive. We've become so sensitive as Christians. We're putting these people on a pedestal. We're trying to make non-Christians act like Christians. <clears throat> Why would we expect a non-Christian to act like Christians? And so we crucify these people for the mistakes they've made with their voice or, or their mouth or whatever 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago or maybe some policies that they used to believe in, or maybe some policies they believe in right now, and we expect them to, we hold them to this standard of, of Jesus or a Christian when they're not. We have to look past that stuff. We have to look past that stuff to the heart. How do they feel about America? I'm telling you, in the absence of Jesus being on the ballot, how do they feel about America? Are they a patriot? Are they, are they uh, committed to the foundational documents, the Constitution, and who America started out being? Are they committed to that? Because if you can vote for a patriot, not just someone, you know, how they feel about God, but a patriot, then they're going to be committed to the founding documents which were founded on God and godly principles. So you're actually going to get what you want. It's just another route. I mean, it would be great to have, you know, Jesus and a patriot, but that's not happening. But if you do want a saint in the White House, look at the vice presidential choices. It's a great man of God running for vice president if you really want a saint in the, in the White House. But what we can't do is not vote. What we can't do is say, uh, the lesser of two evils, it's still evil, so I'm not going to vote. Or if I vote for this candidate, that means I believe everything they believe. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We have to engage in culture, and we can't be scared of that kind of stuff. I mean, really, it's our fault. The candidates that, that have been uh, put before us is our fault. If the church hasn't, hadn't been disengaged in culture for 100 years, maybe we'd have better candidates to choose from. So we can criticize, you know, we can throw stones, we can do all of that stuff, but we need to look at ourselves. There's pastors and leaders all around the world, all around the United States of America, who are telling their people not to vote or telling their people to vote third party, which is basically not voting. Or they're, or they're telling their people, you know, they're, they're not focused on the issues. They're focused on all the, all the trap clap that's on the media. They need to focus on the issues. And they're so, they're so disgusted with who we have uh, to be elected. But what have they done? The church has been so, so focused on their own congregation, their own church, their own ministry. They have left the church people and they've told them that if you want to serve God, you got to be a pastor, you got to be a worship leader, or you got to be a missionary. I'm telling you, as church leaders, we need to empower the people to invade the marketplace. <laughs> Pastors and leaders, you are not the most influential people in the world. The people in the marketplace are the most influential people in the world. Stop worrying about your own ministries and your own 
you know, your own congregations and your own buildings. Let's empower the people to take ground in the marketplace. If you've been sitting in this church for any amount of time and you haven't been awakened to the call of God on your life, we're not doing our job. And if that call of God means that you gotta move to Washington, D.C. and take ground in government, so be it. We'll introduce you to another church there, but we're not so small thinking that it's all about C3 San Diego. I do happen to think it's the best church in the world, however. So 99.999% of you will probably be here. But we got plenty of work to do here. Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. San Diego is our Jerusalem. We need to take authority and use the power that God has given us to influence right here in San Diego. Somebody say amen. So we can't be so upset about our candidates. Let me just remind you too that 25 million registered Amer uh, American Christians did not vote last election. An election that was decided by four million votes. One out of every four Christians, I'm told, aren't registered. Aren't even registered to vote. So we can complain, we can criticize, but what are we doing to produce a candidate Pastors and leaders, what are you doing to produce a candidate that you're willing to tell your congregation to vote for? Maybe it's somebody in our church. We gotta get in the game. We gotta engage. If Christians would just vote, we'd, we'd control every election. Every single election we could control in America if we would just vote. That's how you can get engaged. That's how easy it is. That's how easy it is. Now, we actually have a strategy in San Diego to invade government. Salt and light generation, can you guys stand? <laughs> Scott and Alana Sorensen, they have a plan. It's not that hard. A church of this size can actually affect San Diego policy, can actually direct funds and where it goes. They're actually having a ballot bingo, they're calling it, uh, very soon, is it next week? Wednesday night. Ballot bingo, where they're going to go over some of the issues. It's going to be a fun thing. There's going to be prizes and all that stuff. So, so check in with them if you want to get involved. Um, but here's the deal. There are already churches that are, that are taking over in their cities. They're affecting policy. Here's, here's, here's one other stat. 25% of San Diegans didn't come to the primaries. Didn't come vote in the primaries. That's San Diegans total. The good news about that is a church of our side, if we show up for the primaries, can pick our candidates. We can pick our candidates. Like it's not that hard, but we gotta start local. We gotta start here. And we, gotta, we can change policy from here. We can take over San Diego. A church of our size can do it. We already have people running for office this election. We already do. But over the next four years, we have a plan. Go talk to these guys. It's fun, it's gonna be fun. But we have to think more strategically as Christians and as the church. We have to think more long-term. We have to think more discipleship, not just conversion. Matthew 28, the Bible says, Jesus talking, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not just all people, but of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always till the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, don't just go out and make conversions. Go out and make disciples. That takes time. It takes time to teach people all that Jesus has commanded. That's why we are a discipleship discipleship church connect grow serve lead we want to take you along the process so that we can learn what Jesus has commanded us to do a lot of churches have kind of shrunk back from the marketplace because they don't understand 
when they haven't been teaching people, no, it's our job to go. It's our job to go into the world, into every sphere of culture. The church as a whole has backed off of money, like my wife was talking about. We've, we've backed away from teaching people to prosper. That's why all the self-help seminars are full. Because people go to churches and they don't learn the Bible. All this stuff in self-help comes from the Bible. I don't feel like I need to go to self-help. I don't have anything against them. I've been to them. I've learned some things, but it's always been biblical. The problem with the self-help stuff is, is there's no power. If we can just teach people about the Bible in church, oh my goodness. That's discipleship. But we're so scared of prosperity. That's why all the, the, the Mormons and the Muslims are buying up all the land. Probably the most famous piece of property in San Diego County is the Mormon temple on the five. My daughter thinks it's like a, a frozen castle. <laughs> but that takes some organization, some strategy, and some money, some prosperity. I'll give you an example. There's a, when talking about long-term and, and discipleship, um, my friend Colin Higginbottom had just gone to just gone to Uganda, and I was talking about his trip, and he said that uh, he said that the Muslims are committed to discipleship. The Muslims have a strategy; they're committed to populating the earth, so they're having more kids than we are. They're not killing the kids; they're having more kids than than we are. They're 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 strategizing together uh, with financially. And they're converting by force. That's their strategy. It's a long-term strategy. They've been doing it for years. They're now discipling. I just heard the other day, they're discipling about five different nations. And what he said was, he was in Uganda, and he said that the, the Muslims will come into the cities, and they'll say, where's the highest piece of property? Where's the highest land? And they tell them, and they buy it, and they put a mosque on it. They take ground. They, they want to control the high places, because that's a, that's a symbol of authority. Controlling the high places militarily is, is a city of, is, is an advantage, militarily and spiritually. They want to control the high places. He also was talking to one of the guys in Africa, and they said that the Americans and others would come there, and they would do great, uh, you know, uh, crusades and, and get a bunch of people saved, but then they would leave, and the Muslims would come in and disciple. The Muslims would come in and disciple. It's like, the, it's like the parable of the sower when the seed falls by the wayside. Because the people don't understand, the enemy can come in and take that seed. We can't just get people converted. We have to get people discipled. We have to start teaching people because the gospel works in all parts of the country. The sad thing is the people in Africa that have heard the gospel, maybe they're saved, but they've only heard part of the gospel because the gospel should be producing prosperity in that nation. But we failed to teach them that. We just got them converted. I think there's been a shift. I think the church has now realized that we need a disciple. We need to teach people, you know, how to make money and how to do things, how to operate in the power of God. But, but I think it's been a long time. So we need to go on a mission, a strategic mission that, that is not just short-term, but is a long-term discipleship thing. We've got to think past uh, the immediate, and we've got to strategize for the future. And it can't be a, it can't be a PC mission. We can't be uh, bound to, to the political correctness that America is trying to push us into. Political correctness gives, gives uh, uh, silences the voice of the truth, and it gives volume to the voice of evil. In the absence of truth, we cannot discern because we don't know what's good or bad. We don't know what's right or wrong. For thousands of years, we've known the difference between a boy and a girl. Now, all of a sudden, we don't know the difference. We can't, we can't decide, are you a boy or are you a girl? Well, let's just ask them. He's five. The Bible says train up a child in the way he, he should go. Don't let the child choose. Train him up. Train him up. Teach him. Teach him. You are a boy. You are a girl. Not that hard. We've been so PC'd to death that we don't know 
that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. We forgot. Is it between a man? I don't know. But for thousands of years we've known. But now there's an absence of truth. And the voice of evil has been given volume because of this PC nonsense. You know who wasn't PC? Jesus. He didn't have a coexist sticker on his donkey. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Not all religions lead to the same God. Not all religions lead to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. We forgot about it because we've had the absence of truth. We need to get the truth back and stop bowing to PC. PC, O-M, goodness. Gosh. I was thinking about, you know, I've been calling America a she. Well, what if America thinks he's a he, you know? Like, that's probably going to be the next Yelp review. Even America's confused who they are. The reason why this election is so easy is what I'm about to talk about now. There's a couple of things that I believe, as Christians, non-negotiable. You can, you can negotiate and talk about economics. You can negotiate and talk about, you know, should we have a wall? Should we have borders? You can talk about those things, and, and I believe those are also very clear in the Bible. But I want to talk about two things I believe are non-negotiable as Christians. And the first one is life and the sanctity of life. And the second one is marriage and the sanctity of marriage. What does the Bible say about life, and what does the Bible say about marriage? Well, Jesus said in John 10, 10, that I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. As Christians, we believe that life starts at conception. Psalm 139.13 says, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The band can join me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So in the eyes of God, even life even begins before conception. Because he's already got a plan. He already knows you. He already knows what you're going to be about, what your personality is going to be, what your smile is going to look like. God already knows you before you've even been born. It is non-negotiable. We, we are about life, and we are about marriage. That's the very foundation of life, the very foundation of Christianity, the family and life. We have candidates right now who are pro-abortion, late-term abortion, so late, in fact, that they feel like you can terminate a pregnancy the second before they're born. Late-term abortion, partial birth abortion, it is disgusting. 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 Uh, Ronald Reagan said something so powerful. He said, I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. How does that taste, PC people? The very people that are anti-life have themselves been given the right to live. I want to read to you uh, or talk to you about a story, uh, probably the, most, the biggest landmark decision in the history of our country, Roe v. Wade. And I want to tell you about that story because it's very interesting. I, I did a little bit of a study on it. And uh, if you look at that story, Norma McCorvey was actually called Jane Roe. So she was the Roe in Roe v. Wade. And it talked about, uh, in, in her autobiography and even in a, in a um, TV interview, it talks about her life. And she starts to share about um, 
the difficulties of her life, including growing up with an abusive mother, spending time in reform school as an adolescent, struggling with addictions to drugs and alcohol, and coming out as a lesbian. She eventually moved with her poor working-class family to Dallas, where she since lived most of her life. After an unsuccessful marriage to an abusive husband, she divorced and gave up a daughter to relatives. Wrestling with drug and alcohol addictions amid the countercultural swirl of the 1960s, she later gave up two more children to adoption, including the child she carried when she brought Roe to court. So what happened was this, girl, this, this lady, Norma McCorvey, she had a child, and she was pregnant with a child. She was unmarried, and she was you know, struggling with addictions to all kinds of things, and so she wanted to abort her child. She didn't feel like she could take care of her child, and, and so she was referred to two young attorneys in Dallas, Texas, one named Sarah Weddington, the other one, Linda, Linda Coffey. Sarah Weddington, uh, one of the attorneys, had already had an abortion, but she had to go to Mexico to get it. And so she was looking for a plaintiff to sue the district attorney of Dallas, Henry Wade. And so, so, so uh, Norma McCorvey was referred to this, these young lawyers. They told her that uh, she had to lie because, because uh, abortion was illegal at the time. And so she had to lie and say she was raped. That's why she was pregnant. So this whole thing was based on a lie anyways. So, so she goes to, uh, uh, based on a lie, and they sue the district attorney of Texas. Well, they lose the suit because God blessed Texas. I love Texas, people. And uh, I, just, I just like that state. I like those people. They love America. They're, they're hardcore. And uh, so they get denied, but then they go to the Supreme Court. They take it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court finds it constitutional to have an abortion in a landslide vote, seven to two. One of the things that happened in 1995 was McCorvey announced that she had switched sides on the abortion debate. I'm pro-life, McCorvey stated. I think I've always been pro-life, I just didn't know it. McCorvey's reversal was attributed to her new friendship with Reverend Philip Benham, a national director of the militant anti-abortion group, Operation Rescue. The group had moved its national headquarters into an office next to where McCorvey worked, and after being baptized by Ben, McCorvey declared that she would work on behalf of Operation Rescue for the remainder of her working life. So this woman actually didn't even have an abortion. Norma McCorvey didn't have an abortion because when she went to try to uh, bring this lawsuit to the district attorney of Dallas, the, the suit was going to take too much time. And so in that process of her taking this suit and in the middle of this case, she actually gave birth. She gave that baby away, but she gave birth. She never actually had an abortion, but you know what she told the attorneys? Let's do it for the other people. Let's do it for the other women. So they proceeded with the court case and it was seen that abortion would be constitutional since that time in 1973. There's been an estimated 57 million plus babies killed in the womb. killed in the womb because of a, a, a lawsuit that was predicated on a lie. Just think if we would have, as the church, got to Norma before this attorney did. And I need to bring something else to your attention. In the next election, there's going to be two to three seats available in the Supreme Court. I heard yesterday that somebody said that the Supreme Court doesn't have any power. Really? They decided the death of 57 million children. There'll be two to three seats open in the next election. If you can't decide on who to vote for for president, look at who they might elect to the Supreme Court and make your decision based on that. Because that could affect 
the biggest next landmark decision in the history of our country could be decided by them. And I know you can't guarantee anything, but we sure got a better chance if they're conservative and they believe in life and they believe in marriage. So you can make your choice in that way. But not only has it affected the, the lives of those 57 babies and taken the destiny away from them, but also what about all the mothers? Pastor Mike Connell, who was just here, said that in order to get an abortion, you have to take on the spirit of death. What about the torment that all of these mothers have had to deal with because it was legal? If you're not a Christian and you're just following the law, you just think it's legal, it's, it must be okay. What about all the moms that have had an abortion and the turmoil and the torment that they've had to deal with because of this decision? I'm not here to condemn you if you've had an abortion. I know a lot of women who have, and I know uh, that I am here to encourage you that you can get free from the torment that you might be feeling. We come to a church that believes in freedom. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that can set you free in a moment. So I would encourage you, if you have had an abortion and you are a lady, why don't you get involved with Cherish? Why don't you go to the, to the uh, get involved with some of the Cherish ladies, put in a pastoral care request. We wanna set you free. We don't wanna condemn you, we wanna set you free. The same people that are pro-abortion or anti-life are the same people that are anti-marriage. Because the only way you can have life is through a man and a woman. So you can't be pro-marriage between a man and a woman and then pro-abortion. You can't. So it's the same people. It's an anti-Christ spirit. Those are also the same people that, that, that want to, you know, kill the innocent, kill innocent babies, but they're anti-capital punishment. They want to kill the innocent and release the criminal. It's like Jesus and Barabbas. The people killed the innocent and they released the criminal. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. That's why we have to be careful. And we have to look closely at this next election. At this next election. And as Christians, it's an easy decision. It's a simple decision. There's a woman that we had at Pathfinders at our last event named Debbie Byer. She's a principal of the school my kids go to. And she was brilliant. She's in the education field. And when she was growing up, you know, she grew up in the 60s and all that kind of stuff. And as she got older, she went to her parents who were pastors. And she said, what were you guys doing during all of that debauchery? What were you guys doing to engage in culture, to change things? And, and her mom looked at her and said, I didn't even know it was happening. I was just teaching Sunday school, doing my own thing. That's been the message of the church for too long. We've just been doing our own thing, having a holy huddle on a Sunday. But it's time to engage in culture again. It's time for you to be awakened to the call of God on your life, no matter where it is, and to have a voice and to lift your voice and not be afraid, not be pressured by PC. And we can do something right here in San Diego. It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us. We can change things. We can do it. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't sit back and wait for the second coming. Let's preserve and advance the kingdom of God right here and right now.
Come on, give Jesus some praise. God wants to lift you up. Because of that conversation that Debbie had with her, with her mom, she grew up and she made a vow. I'm not gonna sit back. I'm gonna engage in culture. She didn't wanna look her kids in the face when her kids got older and have to tell them, I didn't know what was happening. I was just doing my thing as a Christian. I didn't know what was happening. No, she made a decision that she was gonna engage. Now she owns a charter. She started a charter school for the last 15 years. Thousands of students at their charter school, they can sing God Bless America. They can say the Pledge of Allegiance. They can say Christmas. They can say Easter. They're learning the foundations of America, which are built on godly principles, and they're learning moral values. Because she made a decision, I'm not gonna sit back, I'm gonna engage, I'm called to the education sphere and I'm gonna make a difference. I don't know where you're called today, but I know we're all called to do something. And we can start right here, it could be as simple as voting. We need to be informed. We need to make good decisions when we vote. We need to start to strategize. But you need to chase the call of God on your life. For most of us, that is in the marketplace somewhere. And we need to be the voice. We need to shift away from PC. We need to be the voice. We need to bring back the flavor of America, which is Christianity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you close your eyes as we come to a close. There might be some people here today that... Uh, Maybe you've never even met Jesus, and I know this wasn't kind of an evangelical type of a message, but if we want to change the world, we have to first start by changing ourselves. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't try to conform you on the outside. He comes on the inside, and he changes your heart. Once you have a heart change, you can then operate in the power of God, and you can understand then his word and make changes in your community, in your family wherever you go. So maybe you've never actually invited Jesus into your life and made him your Lord and Savior, but today you're saying, man, I want to walk in the call of God for my life. Or maybe one time you did, but you've taken your life back, and today you're saying, I want to recommit myself to Jesus Christ and pursue the call of God on my life. Maybe you feel called to politics, but you didn't know you could do that as a Christian. My goodness, we need good people and government. So if you're one of those two people, if you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe one time you did, but you've taken your life back, I wanna pray with you this morning. So if that's you, can you just raise your hand right where you are with every eye closed and every head bowed? Can you just raise your hand? It's not always an easy walk to come down here, but I'm telling you, God was hung on a cross in public, and it's powerful when we can make a stand for him in public, amen? So I wanna pray with all of you. The whole, the whole congregation is going to pray. I want you to just repeat after me this simple prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you into my life, and I declare that I am saved, that heaven is my home, that God is my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Proud you, man. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.
All right. Well, I want to ask you guys to do one more quick thing. We want to give you a Bible, answer any questions that you have. If you need a specific prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. If you can follow this handsome man, James, into the response lounge, two minutes, we're just going to give you a Bible and uh, pray if you need to pray and just answer any questions. So can you do that? Can you turn to your right and my left and follow him just for two minutes? Amen. See, God moves even in the government sphere. Hey, I want to just encourage you to come back tonight, 5 p.m. Pastor Jurgen will be here. If you want to get involved in what we're doing in San Diego, why don't you go uh, talk to Scott and Alana Sorensen. Let me just pray for you before we leave. Father, we just thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you've called us to be the flavor of America. God, you've called us to preserve the kingdom and advance the kingdom. Father, the kingdom of God does not come by observation, but the kingdom of God is within us. I pray that as a church that we would go, that we would go into the marketplace, every sphere of culture that we would invade, that you would give us strategies, God. And Lord, that you would keep us grounded in the truth that is in the Bible. Father, we pray for our country, the United States of America. God, I know there's been turmoil, there's been there's been a conflict, but Father, I pray that you would move on the hearts of people who are bitter, that you would move on the hearts of people, Lord, who, who are misinformed, and God, that you would bring all organizations together, that you would bring all people together and make it again, Father, the United States of America, Father, committed to keeping America how it was founded. Father, bless our country, and we declare here at C3 San Diego that you are our God, that you are our Lord, over San Diego and over the United States of America. Father, rain down the blessing of heaven on each and every person today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. Take somebody out for lunch. We'll see you tonight, 5 p.m.